0: Hey, Camp Hacker listeners, it's Travis. We're so excited to announce our newest Go Camp Pro show, the Camp Owners Podcast. We love the work that Kelly and Howie are doing on the show and can't wait to hear all the ideas that they've been working on for the past several months. They've got some super smart camp owners joining them as guests this season. On this first episode, they chat with the inimitable Steve Baskin from Camp Champions in Texas. We hope that you enjoy the first episode of the Camp Owners Podcast, even if you're not currently a camp owner. There are lots of great takeaways for all camp directors. Please subscribe in the app that you're listening to us on and expect a new show every month until the summer. Thanks for the evening, friends. This is the Camp Owners Podcast from GoCamp Pro, exploring issues and best practices that professionals in the private camp industry face each and every day. You can find our show notes at gocamp.pro slash ownerspod. This episode of the Camp Owners Podcast is brought to you by CampBrain. Camp Brain is a robust camp tool designed not only to manage summer camps, but also manage your conference center and fundraising needs, all in one database. Since 1994, Camp Brain has been innovating and constantly adding new features. Look for the Camp Store module being released this spring. For more information, visit them at campbrain.com. We want to thank all of you for tuning in to this first episode of the Camp Owners Podcast. If you have any feedback for us, please do send me an email at matt@gocamp.pro. We would love to hear your feedback and find out what kind of shows you want to hear in the future from the Camp Owners Podcast. Thanks for listening, Camp Pros. Let's turn it over to Howie and Kelly.
1: Hello, camp friends. Welcome to the Camp Owners Podcast, a space for camp owners to talk about the unique aspects of camp ownership and get inspired by each other. We're going to sit down with camp industry experts, leaders, and fellow camp owners to hear how the camp dream transpired for them, learn from each other, and discuss some of the big issues in the private camp industry. Hi everyone, my name is Howie Grossinger. I'm uh, talking to you from Toronto, uh, up in the Great White North. We have a little bit of snow these days. Uh, I'm the co-owner of Camp Robin Hood, a date camp in the suburbs of Toronto. And I also am a partner with two residential camps in Northern Ontario.
2: Hi, everybody. I am Kelly Shuna. I am a co-owner and director of Hidden Pines Ranch, which is a day camp in Stillwater, Minnesota. And I am so excited for our first episode, Howie. Uh,
1: so am I, Kelly. Um, I thought we would just start as if this is our first episode to uh, just maybe tell the audience a little bit about ourselves and sort of our interest in sort of steering the ship in this very new podcast. Um, I thought that maybe you should start and uh, maybe you can tell a little bit Uh, about your story and how we all are here today.
2: All right, this is gonna be hard to keep short-winded here, Howie. It's hard for camp people, I think, to have their story be short. But uh, my husband and I bought his childhood camp four years ago uh, next Friday, which is exciting. So we are the third family to own Hidden Pines Ranch. My husband was a camper here and a counselor. I grew up going to camp and working for a special needs camp. So that was my camp history and where the camp dream started for me. And then we had this kind of pipe dream together and we called the owner and said, Hey, do you have a short list of people that might be interested? And he kind of was like, Oh, and wasn't <laughs> the right time. And then we called him back and actually, you no, know, my. Mother and father in law sent my kids to camp for Christmas. They sent all their grandchildren. And I walked onto the property and had that, okay, I get this. I get that. This is your place, honey. And we went up to the owner at the open house and said, we were serious. And he said, okay, let's talk. And We had some heart palpitations and said, okay, so uh, it took a couple of years to make it work, but uh, here we are. So we are about to go into our fifth summer as camp owners of a privately independently held camp here in Minnesota. And that's how it all started for me, Howie.
1: Amazing. Um, For me, uh, my story is a little bit of, uh, I married the boss's daughter, I think is part of my story. (laughs) Um, I've been lucky to be part of our day camp for the last 35 years. Um, I was uh, dating my now wife of almost 30 years and uh, took a couple years to get uh, the nerve to ask my uh, girlfriend's dad for a summer camp job. And um, I just ended up just loving it. I went into teaching for 10 years and um, for about the last, uh, you know, I would say 20 years, I've been part of senior leadership of camp. I left teaching full time and um, we're part of a 60 year family business. Our camp is celebrating its 75th season this year. And um, in the early nineties, not only did my wife and I make full-time camp and owning a private camp, our life passion, um, we ended up um, exploring the opportunity to expand and, and get into the overnight camp business. And since then we were able to partner with some really dear friends and, and get involved in that. So. Um, The camp business is, uh, like many of us, is an incredible passion, Uh, learning always, and um, the opportunity to be part of this particular podcast and meet and listen to and from uh, amazing people in the industry, no matter how long you've been in this business, is uh, a great opportunity. And uh, uh, I know that both of us are are super, super excited uh, to get things going.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm really excited, Howie, because I feel like my experience when I go to camp professional development or meetings is I much more talk with individuals that work for a corporate entity or nonprofit camp versus privately held camp. So I was so excited for the opportunity to be able to talk with other people that were living uh, this life at the same time. So this is great. I wanted to let listeners know what they can expect from this podcast. So we will be doing monthly shows for season one. Before we get our renewal contract, Howie. <laughs> and we will be doing uh, topics such as camp as a business, camp insurance, buying and selling camps, work-life balance. I really like to interview a lot of people about how they keep that scale balanced. Uh, pricing, staff training, and engagement. Above all, we just want to be useful to the camp world. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for future topics, please get in touch with our producer, Matt, via matt@gocamp.pro
1: We're really excited to get things started with a really amazing guest for our first episode. Uh, Many of you in our industry will know the name Steve Baskin. Steve Steve is a um, a, a well-known camp professional who has spoken around the world on various topics uh, in the camp industry. Uh, A former chair of the very famous and well-attended Tri-State Camp Conference. He is the Executive Director of Camp Champions in Texas. He is a, from what I know of Steve, is a um, a former TEDx speaker. So he's done the TEDx thing, which is very impressive. And I think for this very first episode, um, I'm really excited. And I know you share this, Kelly, is that uh, Steve brings an incredible background in business uh, and and, uh, will help us explore this really unique element of combining the passion we have for camp and the realities of running a business. So with that, Steve, welcome to the episode. And I'd love for you to maybe take a, a, a couple more uh, minutes just to maybe elaborate on the things you've done and, 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 uh, and what you bring.
3: All right, well, first of all, let me tell you that I am delighted and honored my, to be part of this podcast. Uh, certainly the first one puts a little extra pressure on me, but I hope to uh, prove <laughs> myself worthy. Uh, I guess I'll give you a short version. I fell in love with camp as an eight year old and, uh, I was sort of a scrawny asthmatic kid and camp was the place where I learned I could be spectacular. Uh, I didn't, uh, I was a camp counselor, but eventually drifted off and went to business school and was an investment banker and briefly a consultant and then decided that if I had, you know, 10 lives, I'd leave one of them as an investment banker consultant, but I didn't have 10 lives. I had one. And I wanted to do something that combined my uh, passion for running an organization with my passion for transforming lives. And uh, it turns out that summer camp was the perfect place to do that. And in 1992, while I was still in business school, my brother and I decided we were gonna go buy a camp. And we spent better part of a summer talking to about 12 different camps. None of them wanted to sell. So we did the one thing we swore we would never do, which is start a camp from scratch. Uh, and, uh, the answer is yes, it can be done. And no, I would never try it again. Uh, three years later, the owners of camp champions, which was about to celebrate its 30th year, uh, came to us and said, Hey, would y'all be interested in buying our camp? And we bought the camp. We've just about to have, I guess, our 25th summer there. I think that's right. And, uh, over the course of the time, we've tried a few other things. We uh, did something that predated, uh, bunk One and uh, Camp Group that, i mean not Camp Group. Uh, uh, camp Minder, which did not go well. It was called I Love Camp, and it lasted for about two years, and then got blown up in the uh, the internet boom and bust. Um, also, partners uh, with some fantastic people in a resident camp in North Carolina called Camp Pinnacle, and a day camp in Sharon, Massachusetts called Everwood Day Camp. Uh, so I guess I would say that you know, mine has been an opportunity to mate what I'm passionate about, which is impacting kids' lives, while still being able to sort of uh, practice things that, that get me excited, like how to make an effective and powerful organization, how to motivate people, how to you know, pursue excellence, and how to make a career out of something you love.
1: That's great, and I, you know, I know, I know that um, from from hearing you speak at conferences and, and you know, from afar, um, that you offer really amazing perspective on things, and and it really comes through the passion that you have. So to get started on this is 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 really exciting. I, I can just add a little anecdote. Uh, really, I can very much relate to the camp from scratch uh, example <laughs> that you get uh, you gave because when um, I had the opportunity with my wife and our longtime friend and business partner, Saul Berenbaum, to buy Camp Walden, we had gone through the exercise of trying to buy a camp from scratch and finding a piece of property. And ultimately, uh, the gentleman who sold us his camp that he founded looked at us and said, you can't do today what I did in 1969, but my camp may be for sale. So if you're interested, we should start talking. So uh, the effort we put into this Camp from Scratch, which, which was an incredibly educational process, ultimately ended up with us purchasing a, a well-established camp. So that experience I can very much relate to. So that's great. Right. Well, I, I,
3: could, I will not bore you with the details, <laughs> but the math of starting a camp from scratch simply doesn't work because the amount of outlays out front are yeah. massive and it takes a long time to get enough customers so that you're, you are even achieve break even. So unless you have very, very, very patient money or money that doesn't want or need any return whatsoever, uh, it just doesn't work.
1: And yeah. No. The, the phrase that was that 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 was shared with us was, uh, "Howie, you don't have uh, pockets that deep." Was the the phrase that I uh, was was shared with me, which I totally yeah, got very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly,
2: I I love hearing you say that, Steve about. Pretty much being impossible, almost to start a, your own camp unless your pockets and your money is very patient. Because when my husband and I were in the process of trying to purchase our camp, we, you know, a business deal is a business deal, right? Whether it's camp people or not camp people, but there was times where we thought, okay, let's just walk away. Maybe we should just start our own. And my mother in law, who is an entrepreneur, she said, "No way. It will take you at least ten years, Kelly." To build a client base and you know, facilities and all of that. So I think that's really interesting to hear you say that um, because I think it's very true. So I have been tasked with asking you our questions that we are going to ask every guest on all okay. of our episodes. And you answered one already, which was great. It was, what was your camp dream and why did it? when did it start to become a reality? And you answered that for us. I love when you said camp showed you that you could be spectacular. I feel like that could be on... Uh, your poster on your website because that's that stuck out to me I really like that a lot
3: well well my mom used to say that camp gives you a chance to try out new versions of yourself Mm -hmm. and if you are an only child you get to learn what it's like to share spaces if you are the younger child of the local football star which was my situation uh but I was an asthmatic so I couldn't play football Mm -hmm. I got to be suddenly I wasn't anyone's younger brother I got to be me and, you know, if you're doing it intentionally at camp, you can find what makes every kid special mm-hmm. and you give them a chance to try out new personal narratives and a narrative that says, no, I'm not the dyslexic kid. So I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. No, I, all those compensatory skills that I have developed as a dyslexic child makes me a spectacular camp friend mm-hmm. or you know, whatever your challenges are at home. We could find a way to, at camp to have a kid feel special. And that's really the part that I connected with. And when I had the idea or the possibility of getting into the camp world, that was the gift I wanted to find a way to give. And when I get really geeky and really obsessive, I'm asking the question, what needs to be true for every child to figure out what their current narrative is? What do you want their narrative to be? And what do we need to do to help change that narrative?
2: So when you were eight, was the dream I want to run a camp or was it just a feeling about this is this has gotten to my core and I want this to be a part of my life
3: when I was eight I just didn't want to be a disappointment right I mean when you have everyone expecting like I grew up in Midland Texas which is where Friday Night Lights was made about Midland and Odessa and my older brother was kind of a legend because he was the all district center and he wasn't even five foot eight, right? So he was called Mighty Mouse, and they wanted me to be Mighty Mouse, which mm-hmm. was great for him, but it wasn't great for me. And my parents told me I was okay, but other people would give you one of these. <sighs> right. right. And you know, sad eyes, poor baby. And I started to believe that I wasn't worthy. And so what, it wasn't like I at camp, you know, I tell people I wish I had looked up at Orion that night, or I guess Scorpio and said, someday, I will own a camp. I didn't. I was just so glad that camp had given me this gift. It was only later when I had the benefit, right? My aunt and uncle owned a camp. And they uh, had asked me to look at, you know, some of the things they were trying to do. And I began to realize, you can actually make a living doing this. Right. You're not going to buy a yacht. You're not going to buy a private island. But you can have a really nice living doing something you're passionate about. And that's, I think, probably my mid-20s. While I was at business school, I realized, yeah, this is what I want to do.
1: Yeah, we often say, yeah, we often say, like, when people ask, you know, and we get the classic questions, like, what are you doing the the rest of the year kind of stuff, and we can explore a little bit of that, and I can see all the the eyes rolling, and and as people are listening in their cars, or wherever they're listening, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think many of us, and I know I can only speak for myself, is I I really feel this is a a real privilege, you know, Mm -hmm. this opportunity to do this, and impact um, people the way we do, but you know, I, I think we can all agree, like, we, we really love our lives. We're really lucky to do what we do. And um, the fact that we can have these conversations and encourage people, you know, how many people have you crossed paths with who are former staff, who will say, listen, I wish I was doing what you're doing and all that stuff. And there is a romance for sure with the camp ownership, camp director space that we occupy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, and some of the realities of 2020, Versus 1980, they've shifted, and maybe we'll get into some of that as well. But the reality is, is that um, you know the camp dream uh, for some of us. We're just, I think, we're all really lucky to be doing what we're doing, and uh, I think it's uh, it's great to have you, Steve. Okay. It is now time for us to do some uh, necessary work to give a big shout out to our sponsor of this podcast, Camp Brain. Camp Brain ma- camp management software serves 1,300 plus camps. They've been doing this since 1994 with 45 plus dedicated staff to meet your every need. With core modules uh, for camper, conference center, and fundraising, Camp Brain, Camp Brain has all the features to meet your camp's needs. They are always innovating the software and releasing new features based on their deep knowledge of the camping industry. For instance, look for their new Camp Store module coming this spring. It will be integrated with Square to provide an excellent point of sales experience, inventory management, as well as an online store. Um, I'm really excited that Camp Brain is part of this podcast. I have been associated with Camp Brain myself, and I know there's, um, there's a lot of options in the camp, uh, uh, management software in our industry. Camp Brain is, uh, is a company that I've been connected with since 1994. I've been really proud to see the growth that Rob and Shane and their team have developed over the years and just really, really honored that they would, uh, you know, come on board with this podcast and support what we're doing. So if anyone is considering um, a move to some new software or um, rethinking what they're already doing, I encourage you to reach out to Camp Brain. You can check them out at campbrain.com or you can call 866-485-485. 8885. Okay. So we now are going to sort of move towards some of the specific topics that I think Steve can really offer some insight to and and generate some some really good discussion amongst the three of us. Um, So I think that at its core, Steve, you know, the question we wanted to kick off with is, you know, you know, in your view, what does it mean, you know, to view your camp and organization as a business? Um, I think that's a, a, you know, a, a jumping off point, so to speak, for for why we're doing what we're doing.
3: Well, you know, I, I struggle a little bit when people ask me about this. And I think a little bit stems from uh, when I first came into camp, I came straight out of business school. I really thought I had a competitive advantage. I thought I was going to be able to use the best practices that I had learned. And I think I came in thinking it was a you know, more of a business and more of a place that you need to be thinking and not as much a place that you need to be inspiring. You know, I need to realize it has to be a mission. It has to be a passion. And if you're not serving all your stakeholders, you know, your employees as well as your parents and as, well as your vendors, you're not going to do well. And in that way, a great a camps a business, the same way a great schools a business, you know, so this is not I don't want to say that camp is a money-making machine. If you want to make money, there are better ways to do it. Uh, but I do think that there are certain disciplines. Uh, there are certain practices that enable us to do things at a higher level and have a better impact with children. And one of the things is, is uh, finding your way into the virtue circle. And the virtue circle goes a little bit like this. You do a great job with your families. They're delighted. So they give you word-of-mouth referral to other people. So your camp can grow a little bit. You also can raise price a bit. As a result, the next year, you have a little bit more cash flow. So you can invest in better people, a little bit more training, and maybe build something new cool at camp. Well, now the satisfaction level of your families goes up even more. So now you're able to, you know, maybe hire Michael Brandwine to come do a session for you during orientation, and you build an even cooler new thing. And now you get to hire a full-time recruiter or a full-time uh, another professional that works with you year-round. So the quality of uh, the camp goes up again. So once again, your retention levels go up, and you can raise price, and you end up in a place where, not because you're focused on cash flow. But because it happens because your revenues are growing, you 're being disciplined on your costs, and you're being thoughtful and strategic on your cost, but if you control cost and revenue grows, you end up with cash flow that enables you to make the product better. The opposite of that is the death spiral, which happens with smaller camps you know they don 't quite have enough money to maybe fix that roof, and then it leaks a little bit, so no one comes back to. that cabin the next year and now you can't quite fix the septic system or you try to you don't hire another person and you're working yourself too hard and you never get back out again
1: yeah i I think i really love that too i I think yeah the the virtue circle I, i i really love that concept uh you know at the end of the day you know as a trend in our business you know raising prices every year is a typical approach that we all take i think at the end of the day clients want to see us reinvesting and I think they want us to see us you know being able to demonstrate and articulate to them the ways in which you know we are enhancing the experience and as you know both Steve and Kelly it, you know, it could be one year it could be infrastructure the next year it could be a high ropes area another year it could be you as you said bringing in a Michael Brandwine or enhancing the development of your staff but I think at its core is just the relationship you build with your clients about, you know, we're here, you know, annually to um, raise the bar, so to speak. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and- I love that I have a word for that now, Steve, because <laughs> for me, I just interviewed someone for our first year round position, which I saw you mention, which I'm like, oh, I'm doing, <laughs> the, I'm doing the cycle. Um, but he had said to me he was coming from a different camp. And he'd been directing it for a while. And he said, well, how do you advertise and just word of mouth? And uh, it's exciting for me to hear. I mean, some of these things also have been passed on from the previous owners, but now to have a word, uh, virtue mm-hmm. cycle, and I'm going to look that up. I really, I love that because I really do believe that running it with mission and virtue cycle and making decisions based on that uh, will drive the business. It's, you know, without even thinking about it, it is just that natural fuel, mm-hmm. uh, if you will, to keep your business growing. But I love that. I think that's fantastic.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, I think I inadvertently called it a circle, but it's a cycle. So, yeah. cycle, I Apologize for that.
2: Circle. Circle yeah. of virtue. It's, it's I like that. It. It's the, cro-
1: <laughs> the cross-border translation. I know you'll get <laughs> you me. That must
2: exactly. be what it is.
1: I'm going to use that as often as I can.
2: <laughs> In Canada, we call this the virtue circle. Yes.
1: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, so I wanted to ask you too, Steve, which I want to add at some point in this podcast. I have a tendency to now want to call you Steve, sir because I would be following your four R's. I did do my homework, because this oh, is the you. first time that I'm meeting you. And so I wanted to, you know, responsibility, respect, reaching out, and reasonable risk are your four R's. So I am tempted a little bit to call you Steve Sir, but because this is more casual, <laughs> I won't. But I did, I did like that, so.
3: I, I, I will tell you, my children have always called me Steve Sir.
2: Okay. And,
3: and I will tell you, if I'm in an airport, and you hear someone say, mommy or daddy, 20 heads turn around. But if I hear Steve, sir, I know it. Somebody knows me. So, I know it sounds strange to you, but that's the camp name. Right. And even our camp dog is Dodger, ma'am. The camper. Oh. So, everyone is worthy of sir and ma'am. It's not just the owners. Right. It's especially not just the owners. It's, you know, it's Howie, sir. It's, you know, it's everyone is worthy of respect. And it's a, ver- it's a, a verbal reminder. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Kelly, ma'am, I know this all sounds strange to you, but I'll... <laughs> Respond to Steve, sir, and I won't blink.
2: (laughs) Well, up north, you know, we don't use it as much, but I do like it as a tactic for my children, so I might have to become Kelly Ma'am.
3: I will say this. My wife, who came from Boston area, Mm -hmm. first came down here and thought it was the strangest thing in the world, and now she loves it. Mm -hmm. So, Susie Ma'am has adjusted.
2: Does it have, like, some southern, though, Ma'am? Like, would I be Kelly Ma'am, or is it Ma'am? You'd
3: be be Kelly Ma'am. Okay. <laughs> no, there, there's there's no need to, to to make it sound like we're down south or, or we're going to have to get under the veranda. No, no, it's just.
2: <laughs> I do like that, though. You wow. know. So, okay. All right. Now that I've derailed us, Steve, yes. sir. It's all good. <laughs> uh, my next question, uh, kind of carrying off of what Howie uh, had asked you, but what do you see as a major difference between privately held camps and corporate or nonprofit or organizationally held camps?
3: Well, I guess there are uh, a few just sort of obvious ones. One is that if you run a – if you're executive director of a not-for-profit camp, you don't think in terms of passing it on to your children. You don't have estate issues. You don't have uh, succession issues. It's going to be decided by a board. That's a big difference. Uh, Another one is if you run a not-for-profit camp and you have a couple bad years – if you have a good board with a couple of deep pockets, they can help you out. If you run a private camp and you have a couple bad years and you default on your debt, you're done. And I think what it it does is it it puts a little extra ownership into it. I also think, and my wife and I've talked about this a lot, is that you feel really deeply personally responsible for every child. And I think, maybe part of it is that we're trying to make it clear that we are not a for profit business. We are, but we aren't. Mm -hmm. So by God, your child is precious to us. And if your child is sick, we're losing sleep. And I know know, some of my best friends run fantastic, inspiring not-for-profit camps, Uh, special needs camps, agency camps who care for their campers every bit as much as anyone else but I think there's this level of ownership because it kind of has your name on it and oh, it's yes. reflecting who you are and the camp's failures are your failures and not just emotionally, but financially. So there really is a downside that, you know, you, you lose your camp. You also lose your home. I, I don't know about y'all. I live at my camp. My home oh. is in the middle of my camp.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, you know, if the camp goes away, you know, I'm homeless. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's also, I find very interesting to find the the correct balance with that internal feeling and how you project that to your staff, uh, it, right? So I, I feel like, you know, we, I feel we do a really good job at staff development. Kids have grown up at our camp and the care and concern we've shown. And then all of a sudden they become staff. And as we sometimes say to our staff, the stakes have changed, right? You're now taking care of other people's ch- children. And And I would never want my staff to feel that if they messed up, they're messing with my living, but they sort of are, but you've got to find this kind of really appropriate, genuine, authentic balance of, you know, having faith and trust in the people who are delivering on all the promises you're making to Mm -hmm. our families, because often they are coming very personally by us, right? Whether it's a home visit or on the phone. Kelly, I'm sure you're constantly having conversation with moms and dads about, you know, your investment in the experience, and then we're passing them off to our staff. But, you know, I I hear what you're saying, Steve, around, and you live on the property. So I I find that we're all navigating that fine line between, yes, it's our living, Mm And how do we temper freaking people out that they're messing with what Howie and Sari are doing or something like that? Well,
3: well let me uh, give you maybe a, a thought on that that might make it easier is that I finally got past thinking you're messing with my livelihood because in order for that to be true, you're doing something that is deleterious to a child or to right. the child's family. And that in and of itself is enough for me to take action. Yeah. So forget my business. I don't care about that you're doing something that is going to make a child feel unsafe or make a child, uh, not just dis- help them learn how to dis- resolve a conflict. You're not doing your job. And I would respond the exact same way if it were my business or not my business, as long as I stay focused on the kid. Yeah. Yeah. The t- challenge for me is my wife and I joke that we're sort of a 20 year overnight success story. And I mean, there were some years early on where we had four kids in, uh, you know, under the age of five, and we're living in two bedrooms with one bathroom and struggling to make stuff work. Well, we've reached a level of success now where that's no longer true. And once again, we don't own yachts, we don't own islands, but we're, we're doing pretty well. You know, the house we live in is a nice house. And it's, I'm conscious sometimes that I don't want the staff who are working their tails off for not great pay because camps can't afford great pay to be resentful. And it's it's a huge priority to me that if, if I cannot demonstrate daily during camp, and especially during orientation, that we're about the mission, then we will fail. That is maybe the single most important challenge is that even though we've got the gray hair and we seem to have level achieved a level of success, we're still about the kids.
1: Yeah and I, I for me and i know kelly will probably want to jump in as well as i i feel like that that last example you gave has been sort of passed down from you know Sari's dad larry bell who's essentially our founder for 60 years is you know when i got into this idea of possibly buying a camp with my wife and a business partner he would be very forthright in using I never thought of what I do as a business. And I think we were, you know, and while he, he is a good businessman, I think all the things you said came to the four, you know, to the fore. it really was the backdrop of everything that we do or try to do is around, um, you know, not putting pressure on people to think that everything stands on everything they do and that we're supportive and we trust them and that we're creating a really loving and, um, you know, effective environment for our kids and our staff. So uh, with that, I'll just pass it on to Kelly. I I know you probably had a thought.
2: Well, I was going to say, if you're not watching on YouTube, I was doing a lot of active listening for both of those (laughs) answers that Steve gave about, you know, it's reflecting on you and your family. And especially what you just last said, Steve, about, you know, your home and not wanting staff to feel resentful about what they're paid and what goes into camp. And I think about that, a lot. Um, Just even like the car that I drive in our community and not wanting to ever give people a reason to be like, oh, well, that's why camp is so expensive. But also, you know, if we go on vacation as a family, I feel very hyper aware of sharing anything on social media. Um, And I, you know, again, though, the flip side of that is I should, I'm proud and I'm, it's important for us to travel and that's how we rejuvenate or whatever it is we choose to do. I should not have to feel bad about that, but I guess I'm more not feeling bad about it, but aware of right. it and the perception uh, that it is on my family as the owner of camp.
3: I give you, well, we, uh, one day my wife and I woke up and realized we never had a summer vacation with our children. And so we decided we were going to do all of them at once. And seven years ago, we pulled them out of school for six months and backpacked Southeast wow. Asia. you and I blogged every single day. And part of my reason was parents wanted to hear what these crazy camp directors were doing. But the other thing was to provide 100% evidence that we were living close to the ground. We were <laughs> eating street food in Vietnam. We were not mm-hmm. staying at the Four Seasons. We were just, you know, had piled up all those family vacations that we weren't having. And, but I, that, the thought you're describing is, oh, my Lord, I don't want people to think, oh, yes, the camp directors is on oh, a, yeah. a world trip. No, it was a – uh, an adventure. Yeah.
1: Was, yeah. And I find it very interesting that we're a very unique industry that way, because I don't think people in our communities look at their lawyers and their doctors in the same way, <laughs> you, know? No, <laughs> they don't. you know, when they're, when they're, um, out on the town or, or, or doing those things. So it, you know, and I think that just speaks to the personal responsibility that we, we take on very genuinely about, you know, delivering what we deliver and how, um, how careful we are to, uh, to, to project what is consistent with our values and the mission, as you said, of what we do every every summer. So that's great. Yep. Yep.
2: So Steve, we want to ask you a little bit about what you think is unique or unexpected um, or a unique or unexpected challenge of being in the camp business. And I feel like you've talked a lot, that's basically what we also included in the past conversation, past couple of minutes, but is there anything else that you would add about what's unique or unexpected as a challenge of being in this industry? Oh.
3: Well, there's two things that are unique. One is uh, you need to be in the business of inspiring, I mean, in the most literal turn possible, young people. And if you can't connect with and inspire and uh, um, share a passion with 18 to 25 year olds, you're done. Right? I mean, that's, and they can smell inauthenticity a mile away. Yeah. So one of the huge challenges is just being so being true to this amazing calling we have. The other thing that makes it unique is where else are people giving them, giving you their child? And particularly with overnight camp, you know, these are parents that won't let their kids ride around the block without, you know, following them sometimes. And they're wearing helmets. It's, they're worried. They've been told the world's a scary place. And then we're saying, Hey, I know the world's a scary place. Come send your child to me, a relative stranger, for 14 to 21 days. And that is, I mean, where, where else does that happen? And that is such a unique challenge. And it forces us to be uh, highly, highly skilled in not only working with children, but understanding the fears and needs of the parents themselves. Right
1: yeah and i think that more more so than ever i'm sure we're all finding ourselves doing a lot of parent coaching a lot of you know more than ever this this they're looking to us for advice more than ever tell me what i should do with my kid you know this is what's happening in school i find that our industry has become much more extended to the rest of the year than sometimes even the summer because of you know, um this great responsibility and I think we've proven it that people look to us in a way that um they trust, you know, well, advice, perspective, et cetera. So I I I you know that and I, I think and we should get,
3: well. and we need to be that way. Yeah. Uh and I'll say two ways. But if you looked at what camps charged thirty years ago mm. compared to what the like consumer price index is, and now what we charge now versus the consumer price index, camps have raised the prices a lot more than inflation we better be doing more than we were 30 years ago. If 30, 40 years ago, we were in the recreation business, we better be in the education and youth development business. And if we can't help parents, we don't deserve to have the child. The second thing, I'm mean, sort, of, sort of two thoughts. One is I blog every day during camp and mm-hmm. it is, we have hundred percent of the parents' attention at that time. So that's where I do most of my parent education. The second thing is, uh, Four or five years ago, we created a whole new position called the Director of First-Time Families. Mm -hmm. And this person's only job is to specifically address the needs unique to a first-time camper and a first-time camper parent. A returning parent at either of your camps is now a trusted ally. The first-time parent has no reason to trust you at all. You're a stranger with their child. And we begin to realize there's a huge asymmetry between the needs and wants of a new family and a returning family. And why are we communicating with both groups in the same way? So we have one person whose one job is to focus on the needs and wants of first time families. And I, was, I, won't, I won't go into the details of what that yeah. includes, Alicia want me to, but that was a big sea change for us because uh, you know, the returning families don't want to change anything.
1: Yeah. I think for, yeah, sorry, go ahead. You know, not finish it. No. Up. no. And, and the new
3: families don't care about what you have or haven't changed. Is it safe? Is my child going to be loved? Is my child going to
1: grow? And is my child in the same bunk with all their friends that I want them to be? It's usually right. the, the returning stuff, but, right. uh, and, that, and that's, and that's, that's par for the course. I, I'm curious actually, you know, um, with this um, role for first time families, you know, a lot of what we do with first time families is with the lead up to camp. Steve, maybe you can just, you know, quickly describe some of the things you're doing tangibly with these new families, maybe from the time of registration to the first day of camp, maybe within the first couple days, just very quickly, just give people a, a sense of yeah, absolutely what you're doing.
3: Every one of the families okay. will get a at least 30 minute phone call from a director with specific questions about what do you want true for your child? It's not how much fun they're going to have. You know, here are different ways they are going to grow. What are your goals for your child? The child will receive a special welcome to camp uh, package that will have some fun stuff in it, but it will also include branded sunscreen and branded uh, water bottle. Mm. So we're sending a message, hey, we're worried about the stuff you're worried about. The parent will also receive a special package that includes Michael Thompson's book, Homesick and Happy, and uh, a gift for the parents as well. Uh, we'll also have a series of two or three different emails that will say things like your friends are looking at you like you're crazy for trusting us. We want to earn the right to make you feel like you made a great decision. Once they're at camp, we then have a, uh, the first 48 to 72 hours. Uh, we have a te- team of people that follow the new campers, and they will send a special email with a photograph and an anecdote for first-time camper families only. So the parents get this extra something, something that just says, yeah, we know your child. They've made a friend. Her name is Nancy. She loves, uh, they both love to go to uh, canoeing and their counselor's names are X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So that's the, that's the gist of the First Year Camper event. It involves hiring some other people, but it's absolutely been a game changer for us.
1: What one person? Is that a multi-person role? Or I have your a
3: of a full-time person. Yeah. And then uh, last year we would have five or six boy counselors and five or six girl counselors who are the ones actually getting to know the kids.
1: Gotcha. Amazing, amazing. Um, so, you know, we're thinking about uh, in this podcast, not only addressing issues of the seasoned camp owner, but also looking at, you know, for those listening uh, and, and maybe watching, uh, when we, when we post a YouTube version of this, yes. um, um, you know, for the, for the person who's aspiring to become a camp owner, you know, what, what insider tip, you know, and I'm sure there are many, and, and I'm sure the three of us can come up with a, a healthy list, but for a newer up, up and coming camp owner, you know, what, what thoughts immediately come to mind as far as things you'd like them to think about if they're going to get into, you know, the, the private camp, uh, ownership piece.
3: Okay, so I want to make sure understand your question. These are people who are already there and want to get better, or people who are on the outside trying to get in.
1: I think there are, I think people who are either fresh or people just starting to like get into it early. Early people okay. to the to the to the to the. Okay, so group. they're they're in the camp industry because yeah. it's
3: a, trying to get in the camp industry is a hard thing to do. Yeah, for sure. But once you're there, I think the first thing I would do is. You think you can't maybe afford some of the conferences? You absolutely go to the conferences. Yeah. Uh, I a big the tri-state camp conference is a really good one because it has a disproportionately large number of private camps. So if you wanted to go to sessions that are focused on things that the needs and wants of new uh, campers, new, new camp owners, that'd be a great place to go. There are organizations like Wake, uh, the Western Association of Independent Camps. There's Coda which is the camp owners and directors association, which is all private camps uh, that are uh, affinity groups that are all camp owners and directors. Right. So I would go to conferences, I'd find out who are, who's, who are the smartest people in the room. And I would go up and introduce myself and say, can I buy you a drink? Right. And I will say I learned more about how to run camp by uh, sitting in the bar at the Hilton on 6th Avenue back with oh, ACA when Tri-State was there, just listening to people like Dave Tager and Jay Jacobs and you know, Roger Christian, just these guys who were the, like the legends for me. And I was just, I was feel like I was just, you know, sitting at granddad's or, or dad's knee and learning
1: yeah.
3: and just ask the questions because camp directors are by their nature. Uh, they want other people to succeed. We don't have, we don't have competitors. We have comrades.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, Cheers to that, Steve. So at mm-hmm. the next conference, uh, I'll see you at the bar because <laughs> I, you know, I would say that I, even though I have 15 years of camp experience, I only have five years for five years, depending on how you're talking, as a camp owner. So I would consider myself in the new category mm-hmm. uh, because it changes when you own it versus working Uh, at a camp. So I would say I can really relate to that because that's how I have felt after my first year of just praying uh, that I didn't burn it down and (laughs) no one died. (laughs) Then the next year, you know, you think, okay, how can I put my own stamp on this? And how can I make it my own? And what can I learn? And I could have done that way better. So conferences for me, I am a sponge. I can't talk to enough people. I can't go to enough stuff. I think that that is something I didn't know existed in the Mm -hmm. camp community. And I have been so grateful for, and if I didn't have children and a husband, I would attend all of them all the time, Mm -hmm. but it's, I would, I would second that notion that I think that that is a really helpful tip.
3: Well, and let me give you one caveat is don't be shy about asking about five different people. If you could only talk to two people, who would they be? Right. Mm-hmm. No, because I remember Phil Lilienthal mm-hmm. I mean, I and I love Phil Lilienthal. And there there's you know, three different guys. And I used to joke, if I went to a, a breakout session and Phil and, you know, one of these other men and women were in the room, I knew I had gone to the best session. And then I would just pursue them later and say, when do you have a few minutes? And I was lucky enough to get, you know, an hour and a half from Maury Stein before he passed away. Wow when we were just thinking about going into the industry and I've told people ever since that I will always make time to talk to a new camp director because Maury Stein made time to talk to me. And that's just one of the things you need to be willing to do.
1: It sure is. And, you know, it's such a, a wonderful aspect of our industry that people, people do applaud everyone's success. Everyone wants to be successful. There's lots of kids to go around and they you know, we all, we all benefit when we're all doing good work and, um, and continuing to, to move this forward the way that that we do for sure. Uh, it's wonderful. I have the same thing, you know, go ahead. I, I was okay. just gonna say that, you know, you know the names that you, you said I'm very familiar with back in those uh, Manhattan conference days back in the yep. day. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, the private camp industry in Canada, just for our listeners, is very focused in our province in Ontario. It's really interesting the landscape of camping in Canada. We're a very large geographical country But not-for-profits, church, boys and girls clubs, you know, YMCA, you know, predominate outside of Ontario. So we have a very small, relatively small group that's very similar to what I would describe as the northeast culture of overnight and day camps. But um, yeah, name, you know, so many of the young people that I've had to work with you know they sit in a room with some of the names in our in our area whether it be my father-in-law larry bell or you know if they listen to um other people and and listen you know he, he's passed on but jack pierce is legendary and many people, you know and and his camp towingo is uh world-renowned and people you know so many camp professionals have benefited from the many years of watching him and listening to him. So those are just some examples from north of the border, but, yep. but you're right. You, you know, we're, we're a very giving, giving profession and uh, young people just need to, you know, be connected and not be shy because we'll give them the time for sure. I'll throw
3: you one other thing is, is I would, even if you don't think you have the time or money, I would start volunteering with the ACA.
1: Yeah.
3: I've I, every moment I've, I've found my partners and my other, camp operations. I found solutions to almost every problem, not just from the conferences, but by volunteering. And it's almost this sort of weird karmic justice. Yeah. <laughs> if you pour into the ACA, you're going to find that mentor you need. the very person that can answer the one question you have, it'll just it'll be easier to find. Because sometimes at conferences, you know, there's only, you know, Kelly, I will uh, happily have a, a beer with you, but there's only so many people I can do that with before I'm either, not making the conference the next day, two you know, <laughs> really nights, nice, right? But if you're involved in the volunteer stuff, you're beginning to start to find uh, the people who, who you like, who are sharing your journey. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to find. And the volunteering is a great place to start.
2: Mm-hmm. AC, we'll be happy to hear that. Steve, it's almost like they have a plug on here. I like that. I would agree with that. <laughs> Uh, so the last question that we wanted to ask you formally is what do you think is something that camp owners should have on their radar for the future of our industry?
3: Okay, so I'm gonna give you two answers. The first answer is I've seen a big trend toward the professionalization of camps. You know, I mentioned before that our the, the our tuition rates have gone up faster than uh, inflation. I also think parent expectations have gone up substantially higher. And we are needing to provide, uh, you know, parents are less forgiving of uh, any sort of mistakes, Uh, they're less forgiving of uh, accidents or uh, any social cruelty. You need to be on top of things. And it means that you can't just sort of wing it. You need to be going to conferences. You need to be hiring people to help you during orientation. You need to have other people other than just your family so you can get professional quality people. We need to professionalize. And also that generally means that we, get, we need to be a little bit larger so that we can financially support those people. So I'm seeing a trend toward larger camps, more professional camps, higher parent expectations. And I think the camps that are sort of, there's a smallness size where you're just right at the edge of the death spiral. That's a tough place to be. And you need to figure out a way to get past it. And if, if it's Uh, My recommendation is doing the sort of things you're doing, Kelly, which is be bold and say, even if I'm not sure I can hire a full-time person, I need to do that so that I can spend more time recruiting new families and someone else can do these administrative tasks or I can do these tasks while this new person does the marketing. Uh, I also just think there's going to be, we're we're going to deal with some really interesting societal questions. And I'm only going to just put it out there uh, uh, because if you haven't started to think about it, you're going to need to, is, uh, You know, people have gotten excited about how do we deal with, you know, transgender bathrooms. It's going to be a real Mm -hmm. issue for camps, particularly overnight camps. I'm not even going to begin to tell you what I think the answers are because I don't begin to have them. But if you're not thinking about it, uh, you're, you're kind of sticking your head in the sand because that's going to be something we're going to need to have good language about because if our job is to make sure kids and families feel safe and supported, uh, this is going to be an area that makes a lot of people, uh, uncomfortable or concerned, and it's something we're gonna to have to figure out the right way to deal with. So, that's me being controversial when I promised myself I wasn't gonna be controversial.
1: Well, I mean, I, I think it's just, it's just the, the reality uh, of the way things have changed and how we have to adapt and continue to be at the forefront at, uh, you know, providing, you know, experiences for everybody. So, I think okay. that, you know, it's, 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 we, 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 can't, we can't hide ourselves from the, from the issues at hand, and I think that's one of some, you know, including some others that uh, the industry is going to have to take on uh, for yeah. sure. So I, you know, I'm glad I'm glad you went there. If you felt uh-huh. uncomfortable, you you have permission to to bring those topics up for sure. Very okay. necessary. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't say controversial. I would say aware, and I aware. think yeah. Camp yes. should be proud that that conversation is happening and that it's not something we're waiting uh, for every other industry. To tackle, it's something that should be a topic. So I think I think that's great, Steve. Okay. So Howie, yeah, I don't remember if you or I should start this inspirational moment.
1: Well, no, our planning. This was all you, Kelly. You inspired. Yes, you inspired us to include this in the uh, the wrap up of uh, the episode.
2: Okay. So with that intro, what something that we talked about, Steve, was that we want to have on each show talking with our guests about something that inspires us right now, because I think that's really important as a camel owner and especially a private camp, you know, the passion is fueled within you or within your partner. And so what is inspiring you right now um, in this industry or in your life? It can be a book, an article, a podcast, documentary, a leader, um, but what is something that you would say right now, Steve, that is serving as your inspiration?
3: Uh, I am almost obsessed with the work that is coming out of uh, Angela Duckworth, Carol Dweck and David Yeager. Uh, David Yeager is actually gonna be one of the uh, uh, keynotes at, the, uh, at ACA, he's actually a friend. Uh, Paul Tuff recommended that I meet him about 12 years ago when we were, or 10 years ago when we were doing a study to see if having KIPP students at camp would help them at school. And the reason I'm interested in his work is it focuses on mindsets. And mindsets change the way a child learns. If I believe I can become more intelligent through hard work, that's different than believing I'm either smart or dumb. If I believe that I belong, that's different than thinking I'll never belong. And it turns out that you can change or improve a child's mindset in very short, distinct interventions, some of which are just 30 to 40 minutes long. Well, we have this one-week, two-week, three-week intervention that can help children get better mindsets, get better narratives. And if you could change a child who believes that every problem is a boulder, and every you know, rock is a boulder to every rock is a pebble, if you can get them to believe that every uh, problem is an opportunity in disguise, that changes the way they learn. The way they approach their lives. And so, the way I've started to think of education is school is where you learn content. And you need content. It takes a long time to learn the subjunctive or algebra or calculus. But a mindset, it's like you've taken, you've supercharged the engine. So, we learn for nine months, we go to camp, we get an elevated narrative, an elevated mindset. And now when we learn the next year, we're doing it with more horsepower. And then we go through that year and we elevate again. So my two inspirations are what can we do at camp to maximize the change and improvement in a child's mindsets? And then how the heck can we get it to a broad range of kids from all socioeconomic and ethnic backgrounds, instead of the population, traditional population, which skews to, uh, Caucasian upper middle class kids, yeah. for the most part. So, my inspiration is to try to get this to all kids, right? thinking of camp as a mechanism to change and improve mindsets. Wow. And then they it. can become better learners.
2: David Eager had a great article in the recent ACA magazine that came out. I just read that yeah. about mindset. So, I'm excited about his keynote as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Howie, what is inspiring you right now?
1: Well, staff development is always on my mind. Um, I've been a a uh, Coach at the high school level club uh, volleyball is my thing and, and uh, coaching coaching boys volleyball has been my thing so helping development, but a camp staff training staff development has really been on my thing and I, I really like um, I love quotes. I love uh, getting groups of people to examine the power of a quote and see how it's related to the work we're going to do daily with each other and of course with the kids and if you haven't already Uh, subscribe to this. I'm a big Simon Sinek fan, Um, simonsinek.com. Every day in my inbox, I get notes to inspire, Uh, daily emails with quotes. I compile them all through the year. And then I go through an exercise where how are some of these going to be incorporated into staff training, how to, you know, uh, I think that there's a lot of opportunities to springboard into what we're going to accomplish this summer through that. And I have found that resource to be pretty inspirational. And um, it gets people, um, you know, motivated uh, after after a year of school and being in classrooms to sort of challenge themselves to how can we make this next experience for our community that much better. So notes to inspire from Simon Sinek.
2: All right, mine is a book I read recently over a break called "How to Raise Successful People" by Esther. I'm gonna not gonna pronounce her name correct, but I want to say it's Wojiki. So I'm sorry, Esther, if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, but she has a quote in there that I think is. I don't think I know it really fueled me over break and going into the new year and was, I include this in my message to my families, but she said in there that the single most important behavior that you can role model for your children is the ability to have functional relationships. And that to me speaks to camp is that we have this ability to role model, healthy, connected relationships that are functional for kids. So that inspired me and as a parent, but also as camp owner. Wonderful. So, After this, Steve, Mm. if we have guests that would love to get a hold of you and find out more about Camp Champion or about anything else that you've talked about, how can they get a hold of you?
3: Okay, well, uh, our camp is Camp Champions and our website is CampChampions.com. I'm Steve B, uh, S-T-E-V-E-B as in Baskin, at CampChampions.com. Those are the best ways to either find out about Camp Champions or uh, to reach
1: out to me.
2: Right, Howie, how can they get a hold of you?
1: So I'm. Uh, I can be found at Howie, H-O-W-I-E at CampRobinhood.ca. Yes, Canada, and <laughs> and uh, feel free to explore um, what we do up here. And if anyone has any questions or suggestions uh, for future podcasts, you know Matt is a great source. But uh, feel f- free to reach out to, to us individually as well.
2: All right. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my email is kelly with a Y at hiddenpinesranch.com. So we just want to thank everyone for listening. We hope that you will tune in for our next episode at the end of February, which we will discuss the world of camp insurance and how it applies to all of us. So thanks for your time. Thanks for your attention. Steve, this has been a pleasure as my first time getting to meet you. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today with us.
3: Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure for me as well. Thanks so much, Steve.
0: All right. right. Thank you. All right.
3: See you next
1: time, everybody.
0: Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Camp Owners Podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. And don't forget, you can find our show notes at gocamp.pro slash ownerspod. Thanks for listening, Camp Pros. Hey, Camp Pros. We love that our industry is built on sharing. In order to foster that spirit, if you've gotten even one good idea from a Go Camp Pro podcast, masterclass, from the Summer Camp Professionals group, a conference, or wherever else, we ask that you give credit where credit is due. That way, it'll encourage camp pros to keep freely sharing their ideas and make the camp industry as a whole better.